Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On April 21st, eight storytellers shared their stories with our audience through our first ever virtual slam. Our theme for the evening was Man vs. Beast. We heard stories about encounters with wild animals, stories about family pets, and one story about facing fear, the beast within. In the end, Jason Sable won with his story about his childhood pet and his last days with Jason's family. Here's Jason. All right, so I was lucky enough to grow up with the greatest cat in the world. Uh, His name was Smokey Joe, and he was born in my parents' house when I was three years old. He passed away when I was 24. In those 21 years, he was my best friend. He was just the the sweetest cat in the world. I mean, uh, uh, he was really more of a doll than a cat. Uh, He, if I was home, he was sitting on my lap, always. And he could sit on a lap uh, on his belly. He could sit on his lap on his side with his back legs on one leg and his head on another leg. And if my legs were together, he would lay, did I lose everybody? We still good? All right. All right. And uh, if, he, if my legs were together, he would lay on his back with his belly exposed, paws up, allowing you to rub his belly, which if you're a cat owner, I would encourage you to go ahead and try that and see how well it goes for you. Um, and he was just, just the sweetest cat in the world. He had this long gray fur and he was so soft and just spoiled rotten. And, and, and that was our fault. Uh, as a kitten, my brother wouldn't let him go eat with the other cats because he didn't think it was fair. So he would pick Smokey Joe up and put him on the kitchen counter and feed him separately, uh, which to me seems like it's unfair to the other cats, but whatever. And he was just so sweet. He wouldn't hurt a fly. Uh, his brother and his sister were both killers. They would kill anything. Birds, rabbits, rats, mice. Uh, we had an alley behind our house, a pretty boy who was one of his brothers. Uh, just wiped out entire colonies of moles, I'm sure. And, uh, but that was not Smokey Joe's scene. But one time, Smokey Joe did catch a cricket, and he was really excited about it, and he had it underneath his paws like this. And then he didn't know what to do. So he just goes, he wanted to see what he had. So he lifts up one paw, the cricket jumps up, hits him right in the face, and he just bolted in the house as fast as he could go. And just, I mean, when I say spoiled, I mean, if somebody was coming to my house with McDonald's, they knew they had to stop and get him uh, a cheeseburger, a plain cheeseburger, no toppings for Smokey Joe so he could eat it. On his 19th birthday, uh, we had a Canadian-themed party uh, with only Canadian beer because he was old enough to drink in Canada. When he turned 21, he got a piece of grilled sockeye salmon for dinner. I mean, this cat was spoiled. But unfortunately, even even the best cats, or pets for that matter, they can't live forever. So on Thanksgiving, which was his favorite holiday, ironically, uh, he had a stroke. And it being Thanksgiving, there weren't any veterinarians open. There wasn't anything we could do. So the only thing we could do was try to make him comfortable. So we put him on the couch and basically we held a vigil for him all day. 
I sat next to him. There was a Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, my brother and his family came over, but nobody ate anything. And people just cried all day, all day long. People were just crying and petting the cat and crying and petting the cat. And when it was time for bed, I dragged my mattress downstairs and I laid it next to the bed or next to the couch. And I cried myself to sleep right next to him because I just couldn't, I couldn't bear the fact of thinking of him spending that night alone. And when I woke up in the morning, I felt the familiar warmth of a cat laying next to you. And it was before dawn and I opened my eyes and sure enough, Smokey Joe had somehow gotten into his usual nook in between my arm and my body. And I realized that at some point in the middle of the night, he must have gathered up all of the last remaining bits of strength that he had and he jumped down from Sam and he jumps down uh, from the couch to cuddle with me just one last time. And, and he passed away later that morning. And now I'm not a religious person. Uh, I don't, don't believe in the rainbow bridge. It's, it's not my thing. I think it's a great sad story, but, and it makes me cry every time I read it on Facebook, but uh, it's not something that I believe in, but here's what I do believe in. I know that every Thanksgiving Eve for the last 17 years, I have a dream about Smokey Joe. He comes and sees me in my dream. And every morning when I wake up, I feel happy. I'm just so glad that I got to see him again. It just, it just feels so good. And every year I look forward to that dream. And so we had, uh, I didn't plan on telling the story. I don't like to tell sad stories. Most of you know, I usually tell funny stories, but uh, there were some events this week that kind of precipitated this. And one of them was that the greatest dog ever passed away last week. His name was Beckett. And uh, my son Harrison just absolutely loved him. And so we've spent a lot of time this week talking about death and explaining to him what that means and, and what happens. And we explained to Harrison that, you know, when, a good friend like Beckett dies, he lives on in your memories and in your heart. And Harrison looked right at me and he said, and then he comes and visits you in your dreams. Now, I never told Harrison about Smokey Joe. He doesn't, I never told him that whole aspect of the story. But he knew, he just, he just knew about it. And so, so this, stories for Beckett and for Tom and for Emily and Penny. And I know you're going to see him soon in your dreams. Love you guys. Jason earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up is a story from Jeannie Parker, who shared why she was afraid of being eaten alive by a bear on family vacations in the Poconos. Okay. So I have been dying to tell this story. I have a couple stories that are from my childhood that are just crazy, and this is one of them. Um, so my family has a house in the Poconos, and we spent our summers and our weekends there growing up. And the summer I was nine years old, I developed a totally irrational fear 
of being eaten alive by a bear because of something specific that happened one day. So before I tell you that, I'm gonna tell you the fear that I had and the plan that my nine-year-old brain had to protect myself. So I decided that there was no way that I could possibly ever sleep alone again at our house in the Poconos. And that would be best for me to sleep with my brothers in their bedroom for three reasons. First of all, their room was perfectly designed for this plan so that I could survive. Second, I was totally willing to sacrifice them so that I could live. And their room was set up so that we had, it had two beds. It had a bed against the window that faced the woods. And then on the other side of the room, there was a bed against the wall with no window. So I thought when the bear came through the window, it would first eat my one brother. It would then eat my second brother. And then one of two things would happen. It would get hungry and leave. Or I mean, it would get full and leave. Or I would roll off the bed and hide in that little space between the wall and the bed and play dead. And it wouldn't know I was there. And I would live. And this all happened because one day my dad took me for a walk in the woods. And on our walk in the woods, he pointed out all these rocks that had been turned over. And he said to me, do you know what did that? And I had no idea. I said, no. And he said, a bear. And we walked more and I started thinking. And I thought, hmm. And I asked him, hey, could a bear throw a rock? And he stopped and he looked at me and he said, sure, a bear could throw a rock. And we walked a little further and I asked him, could a bear throw a rock through a window? And he said, if he wanted to, he probably could. And we finished our walk. And by the time we got home, I was convinced that I was going to get eaten by a bear that came through my window that night. But to top it all off, that night, as a family, we watched a movie about an, a grizzly bear that went rogue in a national park and ate six people before they could catch it and kill it. And then my mom and dad said, okay, now go to bed. And so I had to go to my own room so, and we had no air conditioning, so you had to leave the windows open at night. And my bedroom had two windows, one that faced the woods and one that faced the deck. So I shut the window that faced the woods because at least I knew I had better chance of survival if the window was closed. But I had to leave the other window open. And I sat curled up in a ball with my face literally against the screen of this window because I, I wanted to listen. I wanted to hear this bear. And what happened was I leaned so hard against the window that it popped out. The screen popped out. So I had to go tell my dad and my mom that I popped the screen out of the window and they, um, somebody needed to fix it because not only now could the bear just come in and eat me because there was nothing to stop it, but the bugs were coming in. So my mom, dad said, yes, go back to bed. And so I went back there. And at this point, I am utterly convinced that this is my last night on earth and that bear is coming. And so I sit curled up in a ball and then I hear it. I hear it on the deck. I hear it moving things around. I hear it getting closer and it stands up at my window and it goes, and I flew out of the room as fast as I could, screaming at the top of my lungs, there's a bear, there's a bear, it's gonna eat me. 
And my mom is staring at me like, there's something wrong with me. And she's like, what is wrong with you? And I said, there's a bear on the deck and it's going to come in my window and it's going to eat me. And she said, that's not a bear. She said, that's your dad. He's out there. He's putting the screen back in your window and he burped. Now go back to bed. So I went back and I laid in bed and that is when I came up with the plan that it would be that I could never sleep alone again, that I would always have to sleep with someone else. And I knew that would be my brothers. It would be in their room so that when that beast of a bear came through the window, it would eat them and I could hide. And that's how I survived sleeping in the mountains for the next two years. <laughs> Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Eileen Joyce. Eileen shared her story of preparing her cat for a cross-country flight. Um, I am speaking to you tonight from Whidbey Island, just north of Seattle, Washington, and uh, uh, where I am quarantining with my brother and his family and my nephews and a cat. It's a full house. Um, but I used to live in York, and about a year and a half ago, I decided to move west to be near my brother and his family and those nephews and all of that. Um, so I had to do that big cross-country move, and moving across country is hassle enough, uh, just normally. It's a giant pain in the ass when you have a cat involved. So I had to decide, like, the first decision you have to make, right, is are you going to fly or are you going to drive? I've done both with a different cat, and uh, I didn't want to drive with my current cat, Manny, because when he gets in a car for a long period of time, he starts doing that, like, talking meow you know, that like, wah, wah, wah. and it creeps me out so much. I the th thought of like five days with my cat talking to me was, it was horrifying. So I figure one stressful day is better than five days of weird talking meows. Uh, so we're going to fly. So step two is you go to the vet and you get some pills to make the cat sleepy. So the flight is easier for everybody. That's when I learned that my vet did not think there was a good sleepy pill for a cat. She was like, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of options here because uh, there's nothing great, but I want you to give you a couple of pills of each one and you can try it out and see which one you like. So the first one she gave me was some Xanax, which some of you might be familiar with. It's a <laughs> low dose of an anti-anxiety drug, a smaller cat sized dose. And then another one was uh, a uh, pain pill that the side effect is that it makes them a little sleepy. So she's like, test this out as you can get time before your trip and then you'll know which one to take. So we were packing one day, my parents and I were packing at my house and I thought, well, I'll give a pill to Manny today because it'd be not, you know, like get the cat out of all the boxes. He, he just needs to chill out for a while. This will be a great day to do it. So I decided to start with the Xanax because that seems like a familiar pill. And so I give him a pill. And uh, waiting for him to curl up and chill out, except he never curls up and chills out. Like, he just starts pacing the floor and becoming, like, getting really hungry and trying to jump on the counters, except his legs aren't working right. So he gets, like, halfway up the counter and slams against the wall. He stepped in his water bowl. He was, like, a drunk toddler, you know, whose legs don't work. And... Uh, <laughs> That's when I started Googling and found out about paradoxical reactions, which is a thing, I guess, also in people, which in some, with some drugs, the 
intended effect of the pill actually creates the opposite effect. So instead of having a chilled out cat, I had an anxious, drunk, angry, hungry cat that is now wandering around my torn up house. So I tried putting him in his carrier and he rubbed his little nose raw on the mesh trying to get out of the carrier. So finally I decided, well, I'll lock him in the guest bedroom. So there's not much in there, except I keep hearing him try to jump on the bed and not making it and falling down. So I finally realized if I sit on the bed with him and pet his head gently, he will just sit with me. So that's how I spent four hours of a day that I was supposed to be packing, like helping my cat through a bad trip. Um, so after that, I was like not going to take my chances on the other pill. I'm like, we're just going to spin the wheel and hope that it works when we get to the airport. Um, so JJ got to be part of that. She went down with me to the airport. Uh, to take my cat through security. And I've learned this from previous travels with cat. The cat does not go through the x-ray machine. You have to take the cat out of his carrier and walk with him through like the metal detector. So um, I take Manny out. And once again, a cat never hugs you as deeply and as hard in life as they do when you take them out in the middle of a busy airport. Like he just gloms on to my shoulder and we walk through the metal detector. But then suddenly these... TSA agent has added to this indignity by saying that she needs to swab each of his little paws for like gunpowder or bomb, whatever they do with those little swabs, you know? So I'm trying to peel off his paws off my shoulder and turn him around. And I can see JJ like 30 feet away laughing in the distance as I'm holding my cat's paws up for the TSA agent to swab. But we made it through. The pills seemed to work. He did no weird talking meowing on the flight. He was good. And so the one stressful day was over. And now he lives in a tiny apartment in Seattle, um, except once in a while I bring him up here to Whidbey Island where he has more room to stretch around out. But the downside is that he sometimes has to share this house with two tiny nephews who enjoy chasing him around the house. And he's not had much experience with children before and he doesn't enjoy it. And he, a little stressed out by them. And I'd love to give him a Xanax, but we all know what happens then. Thanks. All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York. Updates on our events are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. Big thanks to our 2020 sponsor, KBG Injury Law, whose generous support is making this season possible and keeping ticket prices low. We hope to see you virtually or on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.